Hey everybody, this is Hear Her Sports, where we meet incredible female athletes and women in sports. I'm your host, Elizabeth Emery, and I so appreciate that you are tuning in, so thank you for that. In this week's episode, I'm talking to Sybil Jacobson, who was right here in Cleveland, Ohio this past August for Age Group Triathlon National Championships. In the 75 to 79-year-old age bracket, Sybil competed in both the Olympic and sprint distances and finished second and third, respectively. Then, the following month in September, she was off to the World Championships in Lausanne, where she flipped things around, finishing third in the Olympic and second in the sprint. Sybil also competes in longer events. In both 2017 and 2018, she was the Ironman 70.3 world champion in her age group. And she didn't even start competing in triathlons until she was 61. Just a few years prior to that, she was pretty much doing nothing physical. She was the president and CEO of MetLife Foundation in New York City, where climbing stairs to the office one day when the elevator wasn't working showed her how out of shape she was. Sybil tells that story, talks about her training and competing now, Title IX, what sports she did as a kid, and being an older athlete. Let's meet Sybil Jacobson. Well, welcome, Sybil. It's really great that you're here, and I really appreciate you taking the time, especially since you're competing tomorrow. Well, anything to take my mind off it. Oh, really? Yes. Do you get nervous? <laughs> Not really nervous, but I get sort of thinking and rethinking. Should I do this? Should I do that? Should I have a peanut butter sandwich now or wait later? I mean, everything is a decision that seems to be monumental. So taking my mind off it is great. Well, what do you have planned for tomorrow? What are your intentions? Get up early, have a huge breakfast my usual sort of breakfast of banana, peanut butter, bagel, whatever, and get down to the transition area in time so that I don't walk in the wrong direction in the dark and things like that, which have happened. I think one thing that's really interesting about your story is that you did start doing triathlon late in life. I did. I mean, I had always you know, liked sports. You know, I'd swum a bit and was a lifeguard when I was in high school, but there really weren't any opportunities for women that I knew of. So, yes, I started late, and as a result, my knees are still in okay shape. Are they really? Yeah. That's great. Because I didn't run a lot. I never really liked to run. I still don't. <laughs> <laughs> You started when you were about 61, I understand. Did you wake up one day and say, hey, I'm going to do a triathlon? It started gradually, and we got a country house. We lived in Manhattan, and we had a country house in uh, Columbia County, and there were all sorts of people who were running. So I started running then, and I met all these wonderful people, men and women, lots of great women. And I sort of liked competing, and I liked going to Saratoga, and I liked uh, running with all these women. And then I heard about a triathlon in the Berkshires, which was in Pittsfield, a Yathlon, and I just signed up. I knew nobody who did it, and I went, and uh, not surprisingly, I was old, and I won my age group because I was the only one who was that old, and that was in 2004, and that's when I got the bug, which is about 15 years ago. Right. And you had done no competing up until that moment. I hadn't, and I'd had a desk job, and 
I realized I was really sort of going to pot. I realized that when there was a <laughs> blackout in Manhattan and I had to climb 14 flights of stairs and with a very light briefcase and my legs were shaking and I thought, my gosh, this is awful. I did swim when I was in Manhattan because there was a public pool right across from us and I always liked to swim, but I just swam breaststroke. So it was only when I got into triathlons that I started swimming freestyle and actually liked it. What was the hardest thing for you when you started competing? I mean, because you've so far talked about how you were out of shape, you didn't swim freestyle, and you don't like running. It sort of varies. I was mediocre at all the things. I, I could swim. I didn't have a fear of the water, even though I hadn't done open water swimming. So that was a whole a new thing. I could bike and like to bike, but I really didn't know how to get a fast cadence and still have problems with that. And the running, I more enjoyed to be with people and see the sky and see the scenery. So every year and every race, I feel better in one of the three segments than the other, and it's not predictable. What do you think made it possible for you to start doing this and be good at it? I think I was wanting to do something a little bit daring. I think I wanted to be a little bit kooky. I had a corporate job, and, uh, you know, I dressed the part and played the part. And I started doing sort of odd things like going to the office in Manhattan on a scooter, you know, a pedal scooter, because I think I wanted to say, hey, there's more to me than this. And I liked people thinking, oh, she's doing that now. And I also, I think, liked being a little bit frightened of things and then accomplishing it. So I had a, a good feeling about that. And then the more I stayed with triathlon, the more I really enjoyed the people I'd meet because they all had interesting stories and had overcome a lot or had accomplished a lot, and they were very focused. I've always had an issue with focus and decisiveness, so it was good for me to simplify things in the sense of a transition and so forth. Uh, you've got to just go with it instead of weighing, oh, I've got three pairs of shoes and the red towel, or should it be the yellow towel? So I think it was very good for me to be more decisive. At least I am more decisive in a race probably than in real life. And I like the high of it, frankly. So one of the things that I've learned talking to all the women I talk to on the podcast is that this sense of adventure, what you're talking about, kooky and fearlessness definitely translates from their athletic life to their real life. Were you still working at the time when you started? Oh, yes, yes. So yeah. did you notice what was happening? I think I was much more efficient. I had higher energy. I liked it. I mean, I liked my job. I liked what I did. I loved the weekends. I loved to uh, work out with people. Yes, it did translate, definitely. It translated into what food I ate, what I craved, what I would enjoy doing at night. It certainly sent me to bed earlier and all of that sort of thing, up earlier. So yes, I think there was a carryover, and that carryover was probably 
enjoyment, enthusiasm, and just shaking off probably a grayness of doing the same thing, you know, and it added a, I think I was able to um, be a bit more open since one takes a risk whenever one races and, and things happen. And I remember a friend of mine said, well, do what terrifies you. And I thought, you know, what good advice because time is running out. What's been the hardest parts for you, the hardest parts to learn? The discipline of workouts. I think the hardest part for me is not looking at the preparation for a race as sort of an end in itself, but rather just I check off the box, well, I've done that, but I really didn't put out what I should have. I wasn't really present. So I think the hardest is a mental focus with me, definitely. In a race, because I can sort of start enjoying the sky and just forget that I should be pedaling faster. And uh, certainly in, in terms of workouts, there's a tendency for me to just, um, mm, I'm doing this and I really, it's a beautiful morning and I really like it. Instead of thinking, oh, those intervals are supposed to get faster and so forth. So it's mental focus. More and more it is with me. And of course, as you get older, you lose a bit of speed. So the mental becomes even more important. Interesting. Yeah. You said you like competing. I do. Tell me why. No, I've wondered about that because I have uh, friends who don't enjoy competition at all, and, and they just uh, love to go out and ride and, and uh, swim and do things like that. And I need the competition to make myself try harder. I shouldn't. I should have it internally, but I don't. So I like the competition. I like the sort of set time that you have to be there, the beginning uh, that you, you meet all these people. And I love the feeling of the end as I run off to get my iced coffee is the big reward. So I think that's really it. It's, um, it's hard to not do it without people to my left and right. So I'm, I'm better in a spin class than I would be spinning alone. And that's true in a yoga class or anything. I just don't have the self-discipline. I need the camaraderie too. I think about why I don't compete anymore. And what I don't like is all the peripheral stuff, which you said you like. You know, like I don't like doing the traveling. I don't like disrupting my whole life to get there mm -hmm. and disrupting the, the training so you like all that? Yes, I like going places. Yeah. It's true. I do like going places. And I like meeting people, you know, that you've seen once or twice before. You just recognize. I like hearing other people's stories. I like the hullabaloo. I like the fact that, as I mentioned before, that there's a beginning and an end, and you've completed that. And it's like, you know, you've taken an exam and the course is over. So that feels good. I got my first DNFs recently, and that was a real bummer. And I, you know, I thought, well, am I just, is it, is this trying to tell me that I can't do this anymore? Or do I just think, man, that was fun going to that race, and that I really did well, and it wasn't uh, um, 
terrible and move on to the next one. So it's interesting to see as I fade, you know, how long I will enjoy the competition because part of it probably is that I get some podium places. Now, when that stops again, I don't know. But then when I began this, I had no idea that I could actually place. So when I did my first or one of my earlier internationals, it was in New Zealand and Auckland, and lo and behold, I actually got a podium spot. Now, that was basically, I think, because the weather was terrible, and it was extremely cold, and for some reason, maybe my northern blood, I, I handle cold better than a lot of people. So it was more that than my ability. You talked about the camaraderie. Do you hang out with people? I mean, will you meet with people after the race and hang out? And Well, I usually go back home as soon as I can after the race. I uh, have an invitation tonight to go with a number of people that I know from various triathlons, and I haven't decided whether I really should because I don't want to eat too late. I don't want to do, you know, that. And a lot of them are racing the sprint on Sunday. I'm doing both, I hope. So there is a bit of hanging out, like before, if it's an international race and you get there before, I never have been able to sort of build on the trip afterwards. I didn't do that when I was working, and I have a business trip, and other people would figure out, oh, we're in San Francisco, and it's a um, weekend coming up followed by a holiday. I think I'll, you know, vacation for three days. I never figured that out. I tend to think one one thing at a time, okay, there's this race or there's this business meeting. And then I don't do a good job of working my personal life into it. That's focus. <laughs> right, focus on one thing. Maybe I should have multi-focus. Yes. You mentioned that you just had a DNF. Yes. Uh, what happened? Well, I had a DNF on the long course in Punta Verde, Spain, and it it happened that the older women were given a late wave start, and then there were time-of-day stops on each loop of the bike and the run. And so as a result, some of the older athletes, of which I definitely was one, didn't have as much time and DNF'd. So it was a bit of a bummer, but... That's the way it is. That's right. It's a young person's sport, but we older people are trying to make it a lifelong sport. Why is it a young person's sport? Well, I think people enjoy young athletes. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. And I understand, too, the, the, the dilemma of the organizers because they don't want the fast people to absolutely run all over the older people, too, you know, on these doubling things. So they may argue, you know, that it's safety, and, you know, from their perspective, it, that's probably true. From the person that is in good shape and, and feels they didn't have enough time, that's another thing. Right. What Such you, is life. Right. What are your days like? My days start early. I get up early, which is good, and I often, you know, do my workout 
fairly early in the morning, so I have the rest of the day. And then I should be doing things that I'm not doing, like cleaning the house. I do walk the dogs. I read quite a bit. I increasingly like walking, which I think walking with the dogs, too, makes you slow down and look at things, and I think that's great. One of the big aspects of triathlon is the transitions. Talk to me about the transitions and, you know, what you've learned. I mean, that to me seems like a place to lose a lot of time and perhaps gain a lot of time. Yeah. Well, I have never been the one who gained a lot of time in the transitions. I have a coach, Kevin Crossman, who says, you know, one of the easiest ways to get 30 seconds or a minute is in the transition. And he's, he's so good at that. I do not do a flying mount because it isn't worth the downside of actually falling off the bike. So that I do put on my bike shoes and I, I don't use a racing cleat, really. I use an SPD and that's a mountain bike cleat. And that is because I ride so much in Massachusetts, Vermont and New York. Where I get off the bike, I go, you know, go into a convenience store where you can break your neck if you have some of the other shoes and so forth. And increasingly, the ITU transitions are forever. So it's a long way to run barefoot. And I also want something that doesn't get mud and dirt in it as easily. So I have simplified the transitions into, you know, not bothering to dry off my feet, going sockless and and that sort of thing. But I can get a little bit too comfortable. I can start conversations if there's a bench and things you just shouldn't do. Like you shouldn't sit down and you shouldn't suddenly decide you're folding your wetsuit, something I would never do at home. I become like a neatnik in a transition. And it, it just needless and a waste of time. So I should keep moving all the time, and it's a good reminder. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have very specific goals that you're going to work on tomorrow? You know, like you're going to focus on a transition, or you're going to focus on the bike, or, you know, like tiny little goals. Sometimes I do. Tomorrow, I just want to enjoy it. That's it. And uh, I have a couple blisters on my um, heels, so I don't want to think about that. And so I just want to to enjoy it and be in the moment because I think if you've got it too planned out, a disappointment will throw you and there's always something. Right. And you have world championships coming up. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Why do you say that? Because it's like, oh, okay, I've got to do that. I've got to start thinking about that. I'm saying that because I'm actually shipping my bike. And you have to ship your bike maybe 10 to 14 days early. And I think, oh, am I doing that just so I won't have to ride a bike and have to go to the gym and do a spin? Or what am I doing? So I'm just sort of thinking... I hope it's not too mountainous. I hope I'm taking the right bike. I'm sure it'll be fun. You mentioned having a coach. Mm -hmm. Do you like having a coach? And what other support people do you have? My husband, who is tolerant of this. (laughs) And I would say encouraging and not bothering about it. So he used to occasionally go with me when we go to an exciting spot. 
But now he doesn't because, as he pointed out, it's it's my enthusiasm, not his. It's my sport, not his. And he's got other sports. I mean, he loves kayaking and, and uh, archery and all of this other thing. And that's fine. But he does think it's great. He doesn't groan when I'm running off again. That's which a big is thing. Good. It's a very big thing. And though he may worry, he doesn't tell me that. So that all of that's good. Yes, it's. I can't tell you what a encouragement and support it is not to have someone groan or not even visibly groan, but just say, "Oh, another one." And so he never puts that guilt upon me, which is great. So I would say he's the number one support. I do have a coach, Kevin Crossman. I don't see him much, and I would benefit more if I did because I think I'm at a point where I really need somebody to talk to me more about form, in, you know, both on the bike and in the pool and everything. I do go to an endurance camp that he has. At least I've done it two years in a row, and that's good because you're around a lot better people, and it's fun, and I do like the camaraderie. Uh, One of the things about biking that I find both in the Berkshires and also in Florida is I'm too fast for a lot of people that I live around, and I am too slow for some of the bike shop groups. So that puts me all by myself, which is not good. I mean, I would be better if I were with some of these pace line people, but I can't, uh, I don't want to hold them up. So I'm sort of in between. You right. Know? What kind of pace are you riding in the bike? Well, it all depends on the wind and, sure. and so forth. No matter what, it's generally 15, I mean, even hilly, but I have a real cadence problem. And sometimes in a race, I go much faster, see? So it's there, but it's hard for me. If I just go out by myself on my lazy stuff, like uh, around Williamstown and so forth, and that's a lot of climbing, it'll probably average out to 15 with a, you know, a lot, you know, 20, 21, 22, whatever. That's speedy. But it's not really. I should be faster, and I, if I had the focus and could just translate that into the cadence, which I'm sure you can do, Mentally, I feel like I'm going faster than I am. And I notice that when I have the speedometer and and look at it. I mean, I can think I am flying and look down and I'm not. But it's a great (laughs) feeling, I tell you. So in my mind, I am flying. Even in my terrible run, which has gotten slower and slower, I think I am going great guns. So I do a real good mental transport on the on the bike of thinking I'm great, only to be surprised. We should ride together. Yes, right. Exactly. What kind of pace do you run? Oh, it's terrible. I have hardly run this year at all. Part of it is my coach thinks as you get older, less is more. I don't know if that's right with me. I don't think I've sort of kept moving enough. So I am terrible now. Terrible. Last year, I mean, I could do 10 and a half. This year, I'm probably 13 and a half. And I think it's because I haven't done it. Right, right. I need to just habituate more running frequently because then my mind 
will enjoy it. I enjoy running in a pretty place. I haven't been running as much now, too, because it's been so warm and not very shaded. Most of all, it's an excuse. <laughs> you need excuses. <laughs> we all need excuses. Exactly. Right. So uh, we talked a little bit about you being a pre-Title IX. Oh, yes. So tell me about growing up. Were you at all sporty? Did you have any indication that you were athletic? Did you want to be athletic? Well, I grew up in a small town in Iowa, Wacan, about 3,500 people, an agricultural community. I was a tomboy. I always liked to do things. I always had a bike. I played in gangs of neighborhood kids that were boys and girls. I hiked, um, went to the swimming pool. I liked to, you know, to do things like that. But there were no opportunities for organized sports, that's for sure. In school, there was occasional intramural, that was about it. And there was a golf team, that was about the only thing that ever played anybody else. So I certainly didn't have the opportunity to compete, except we were always outdoors doing things. And though my parents weren't athletic, they certainly encouraged me to be outside and do things, which I did. And, you know, I was, I was daring and ha- had fun and worked a, as a lifeguard, you know, in high school and, and so forth. And, of course, in college, again, there wasn't any opportunity. I did synchronized swimming where I was, you know, terrible because I'm a sinker. But it was a way to do something. And I was so terrible at that, but I liked being around people that that did things. So it was really a great discovery to find um, racing at <laughs> in 160s, really. Mm-hmm. And before that, a little bit before to find it in running 5Ks and you know 10Ks and this whole oh, group of people who does these things. It's wonderful. You feel good. You do things. You meet people. It's great. Were you aware of the lack of sports for women when you were growing up, or is your discussion about that lack sort of in retrospect? Well, I certainly knew that boys had teams, and they had great uniforms, and that the only way that girls could do things was to be a cheerleader, which I was not, because I didn't make cheerleaders. Because I wasn't good at that sort of thing. I knew that gym was boring and that we did dumb things that weren't fun and and weren't energetic. I did go to Girl Scout camp and, and that sort of thing, and I liked those activities, you know, whether it was canoeing or swimming in a lake or, you know, little races and so forth. And I think I always sort of had an interest in competition, even if it was decorating your bicycle for the 4th of July. I still like to get a prize, <laughs> that sort of thing. So it, it was in retrospect, and at the time, too, I knew that boys had other opportunities. But I didn't think it was unfair. I just thought they were boys. Right, right. And I wasn't. <laughs> I mean, I played with boys all the time. And the only time I probably didn't was when I went to Girl Scout camp. So 
everything was together. You know, you build the treehouse together, you jump off the old barn together, you, you do everything together. Though there were some people in my town, some grades that didn't gel like that. So I think I must have been in a neighborhood or with a bunch of kids that were more open to that. So, so that was fine. Yeah. You've talked a lot about after starting sports in your 60s that you really liked the camaraderie. In that camaraderie, is part of it finding a like-minded group of women that you hadn't known before? It was, um, I think it was learning their stories. Some of them were and are so accomplished. Yes, they like to do things, they have fun, they're enthusiastic, and frankly, they can understand what you're doing. There are not many people who can. I have very good friends who still say, well, how was the marathon? After 10 years of saying it's not a marathon, I don't even say it anymore because they don't understand it, and I wouldn't expect them to understand it, and why should they be interested in it? Right. But I'm interested in it, and there are other people interested in it, and it, it's fun. Do you remember Title IX passing? No, not really. Uh, I, that's a good, good question. I think I was so pre-Title IX that uh, inequities, certainly at the college level and that sort of thing, probably were not, you know, the first thing in my mind at all. And you were probably either out of college at that point. Oh, yeah. 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 Right. Do you feel that you missed out on something because Title IX hadn't passed, because you're pre-Title IX? No. And I mean, I don't like to think like that anyway. (laughs) Basically, what good does it do? So I try to look at the other side. My knees are still okay. My hips are still okay. I could have burned out, you know, earlier. So it's fun to have the interest, I think, and the passion later when it's harder to kindle passion and actually to have it. And it doesn't do any good to sort of rethink, you know, oh, if this, if that. Lots of things could have gone wrong, and I probably would have found out I wasn't that terrific at stuff. Wouldn't that have been awful? And now just by living longer, just by showing up, it's something, because a lot of people don't show up or dare to show up, and that's what most of it is. It's just daring to put yourself out there with your saggy skin and uh, do something. What are your goals, long-term and short-term? To stay in one piece, to keep doing it. So I think the short-term, the long-term are pretty much the same, though. The long-term gets shorter and shorter. (laughs) Yeah, I, I... I probably swim better now. I'm not a good swimmer. I'm a middle-pack swimmer. But I probably swim better than I did when I was younger. Part of that is it changes mechanically in the strokes. And I've had, you know, injuries, not necessarily sports injuries, but you know, I fall on the ice with the dogs. I have all sorts of rods and screws and all of that stuff in my uh, left arm and w- was told I probably w- wouldn't be able to swim again. Well, I can swim. 
you know. So a lot of the stuff, it builds a mental toughness, which I think is very important. So I want to keep doing it. I want to keep refining and refinding the pleasure of it because sometimes it can become sort of a drag or whatever. And that's why tomorrow and the rest of the season, I just want to have fun. I really want to enjoy it and I want to be in the moment. Sounds so existential. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things I've noticed that you haven't talked about beating other people or any of your rivals. It seems like you're very focused on your own progress. Yeah, I I am. And I don't really think about that. I really do think about trying to do the best I can. And I, of course, I would like to win. And sometimes it, it happens. And often we're so close that just, you know, we're just Anything can happen. You could have a different bike rack position or, or it could get tangled in something and there goes that race. And you, you just have to enjoy it for what it is. And always after the swim, I'm, so, I'm glad the swim is over. I'm always glad the bike is over because I think, well, no, nobody gets killed falling over running. Are you good at celebrating? Well, my celebrations are pretty modest. Yeah, I, I enjoy it for a while. I don't do particular things. I mean, I even with a great workout, what is my celebration? It's a great cup of coffee, and I enjoy that coffee so much that I have a hard time, you know, trying to explain it to somebody. It is so wonderful. Do I like, um, you know, after something, going out with other people and, and having a beer and just talking about it? Yeah, I really do. And then you have to sort of turn it off because people aren't interested in it. They really are not interested in it. <laughs> Some people are. Yeah, this is true. And, but they aren't interested unless they've done it in the nuances of what happened this and then that happened. Then you, that other person did this and what, you know, even my husband, who is very interested, I could think, oh, I've gone too far. I mean, who cares? I think that's a healthy attitude. Though. Yeah, right. <laughs> We've talked a little bit about nutrition. And you said when you started racing and doing triathlons that you did change how you ate. Mm-hmm. And I still am trying to change how I eat. And I should do more food preparation at home. I know. But sometimes I get lazy. I think probably the biggest change is, you know, I have generally a very big breakfast, and I probably have like five meals a day. And uh, to have that mid-morning and mid-afternoon snack is interesting, and I enjoy it. I look forward to it, and I do eat earlier at night and less than I used to. I still do a lot of carbs, and I have uh, moved on the bike to take all of my carbs in through hydration. So I'm not doing goose. I'm not doing any of that sort of stuff. So that's different. And I think in terms of the glass of wine and the glass of beer, or the two glasses of beer, I I do less. And I enjoy the one I have more than the two or three I would have before. I do limit desserts big time. 
And, you know, I have a couple things that I treat myself to, like wonderful waffles once a week. You know, just, ah, I love it. And, of course, I, I do, I'm a, a freak on really having maple syrup and not the other stuff. Saying, I, I need that manganese, I need that manganese. <laughs> I didn't know maple syrup. It manganese. does, yes. I think it does. Better check that. I, I won't, I won't right. dissuade you You're from right. that. Do you have any thoughts or things that you've learned as you've aged, what you've learned in the last 10 years? I mean, I don't want to say advice necessarily, but, you know, letting us know what to expect, maybe. Well, aging is uh, difficult in one sense, and it's a relief in another sense. I guess, you know, your career goals in the race have been run, and either it's over and you can't define yourself about what college you went to and, and uh, what your degrees were or what your title was in a job. It doesn't matter anymore, and that's sort of good. And you have free time, which is good or bad, and it can be very good if it leads you to still having a sense of adventure. And I think my advice is to dare to change things up a bit because lots of people don't. And in training, that can be an issue for me. When I swim, whether I feel good or bad, I always swim the same speed. So unless you change things up, nothing is going to change. It's like, you know, in the corporate world, they say you do what you get paid for. And you make those decisions about what you get rewarded for. So if the compensation system is not good, you get rewarded for the wrong things and you habituate it. And that can be true in training as well. And in life, you become comfortable in something. So you just stay in that and don't do it. And I think we need to be stretched forever or, or just give up. So I do not want to go gracefully into that, <laughs> that good night or whatever it is. I, I do want to, you know, fight, fight it. I also think when I'm not capable of doing that sort of thing, I want to live in my head and be able to replay some of these adventures. Have you found that you are, because you're adventurous, because you're doing these sports, that you've sort of, um, you're living a different life than some of the people that you... Definitely. Lit? Yeah. Yeah, and that that's good and bad and sad in a way. Yeah, my interests are different, and the way I want to spend my time is different, and I don't evidently have the energy to keep up with all of the people. So yes, I'm much more in the present, and that has meant not paying as much attention to the past. And maybe that's good, because I want to look forward, and I want to be in the present, and I want to fight to be in the present continuously, so that I don't want to be one of those older people who keeps talking about the past even though the things I want to talk about in the present are of little interest to anybody. I'll have to go to a world meet to find somebody I can talk about it with. But that's okay. I only need it once a year. That's right. <laughs> enough. A enough of that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Will you take any time during world championships to tour 
It's a vacation. No, of course. I can't figure that out. <laughs> and I feel guilty, a little bit guilty. My, my husband would laugh at this. I feel a little bit guilty. Uh, you know, I can't just be away forever. No, I won't. I, I'll be in a hurry to get back, and then I'm happy to be back. I love the fall, uh, you know, in the Berkshires and around area. Are you done for the season after World Championships? Well, I thought I was until I got that darn DNF, and now I feel like I have to do something maybe in November. <laughs> that I have to. I have to reclaim. She's still here. She's not dead yet. So I don't know. I found myself the other night just before I flew to Cleveland looking up half irons. I thought, what are you doing? So I don't know. Those are long races. Yeah, but they're good for me because I can endure the pain, but I'm not a fast person. But I'm a big on pain. <laughs> oh, man, I can do it. Yeah. I'm a stoic, sort of. Forget that, keep moving on. Right. Is there anything else that we didn't get to that you would like to talk about? Well, I feel like I've been in a confessional. <laughs> I would like absolution, that it's okay to be selfish and go for these things because they make you a better person all the way around and for your social network, even though your social network is shrinking. That's, that's good advice. <laughs> Does your husband feel the same way? Oh, he's great. He's yeah. great about it. And I mean, he has tremendous interest in a lot of things. History <laughs> and, and so forth. And, and he's a great archer and he's a wonderful fisherman and wonderful kayaker and all of that sort of thing. And so if we combined our bodies, we would have this great upper strength thing from him and great balance and then just the stoic persistence and legs from me. Yeah. Do you ever do sporty activities together? Oh, we we used to do quite a bit and now we're doing less because um, we're not kayaking together because as he says, I want to go around the thing he wants to fish. But yeah, uh, we, we do our own things and then we enjoy each other. So it, it works well because nobody feels like they're being dragged along. I like that. This is good. Yeah. <laughs> it's very good. One question I'd like to finish up with is, have you seen a change in your personality and sort of thing, like sort of like big philosophical lessons that you've learned or changes that have happened since you started? And, and partly I ask that because you did have a big career in New York City working mm -hmm. and you know was that satisfying what is now being satisfied by the athletics that's a interesting question that I've never really had posed I think it's different yes I had a, a career and I w I'm very thankful for it but the sports is all me you know uh it begins and stops with me. I am successful for me. I'm not successful for me. There is a myriad of other things in a corporate environment and uh, that play, you know, social interactions, uh, not being too far out in front. I mean, all of that sort of stuff. So the sports, has it given me something different? Yes, it's it's found my 
sense of self, which was probably always there, a little bit of a rebel, a little bit of a whatever. I think it has replaced what maybe when I was younger, sort of a spiritual sense, yes. So yes, it is more mind, body, all of that. And it is, it's almost profane to say it, sort of spiritual in a sense because you, you're communing with something outside yourself. So I think it has been more rewarding. But maybe it only was more rewarding because I had a wonderful platform, I mean, a great job, and let's face it, the means to run around and do this sort of thing, which a lot of people who would be much better athletes than I wouldn't have had. So it was different from what I did before, which I like. And, um, you know, I'm never going to get dressed up again as long as I live. And I like that. And that was always sort of like, like it's like going back to the, your tomboy self. And... Uh, playing with the kids in the neighborhood that you want to do and when you want it, and only coming in to eat. Great. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time before the competition. I oh, really you're welcome. It. You're welcome. Well, thanks so much for listening, and thank you to Sybil Jacobson for making time during her national championship weekend to sit down with me. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and tell your friends it really does make a difference to the podcast if more people are listening. I mean, really, it does. Subscribe to the Hear Her Sports newsletter for thoughts about the episodes, related stuff I'm reading, and news of what's coming up. Our logo is by Agnes Studio and music by the band Gold Mines. I'll be back in two weeks. Bye-bye. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato and this is Pit Pass F1, a brand new podcast that'll take you closer to the action of the world's most prestigious motorsport. From Monaco to Miami and Australia to Azerbaijan, Pit Pass F1 is on the ground and has you covered. Esteemed F1 journalists Julianne Serasoli and Chris Medland will take you inside the sport every round. They'll keep you up to date with the latest news breaking in Formula One and the most influential views shaping the world of Grand Prix racing. Every Friday, we'll be bringing you a track guide and race preview, and Chris and Drew will be in your feed every morning from Saturday through to Monday to keep you up to date on all the day's action on and off the track. So if you want to be in the know on the latest in Formula One, subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcasts and visit us at evergreenpodcasts.com. Pit Pass F1, a brand new show for Evergreen Podcasts.